Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. My special guest tonight is Bill Cushing. Bill's newest book is This Just In, a poetic journal of news stories, takes, and otherwise. It's available from Cyberwit Publishing and can be found at all the major retailers. Bill, welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Glad to be back again. Yes, I'm glad to have you back as well. What inspired your new book? Well, actually, it's um, I, after publishing the first two, the, the, the former Life of Music Speaks, well, actually before that, but I started going back to doing some more traditional forms and, um, you know, trying my hand at uh, sonnets and odes and madrigals and things like that. So that was one part of it. But the other was, um, and probably the main one, was the uh, ekphrastic poetry I started doing, which where you have a piece of artwork that becomes the starting point for a, a piece of writing. And I got involved. There's a Canadian website that does ekphrastic. I think it's called the Ekphrastic Review, um, where they they would provide a painting or you know uh, some piece of art and say, okay, you got ten days to come up with something. And I, I did a couple of them. Uh, and that was actually the title came from one of those poems, the uh, this just in, uh, which was based on a piece of art by a, a, a British artist, Chen uh, uh, Zed, who I've really come to admire. I, I really love her stuff. Um, I've used it a couple other places, but uh, yeah, so it was this kind of collection of. Um, you know, more traditional forms of poetry, not that that's all they are, but, uh, and then the ekphrastic stuff. As far as the title, you know, because over the last few years we've been hearing fake news, fake news, fake news, I thought, no, that's, with the poem This Just In, you know, being titled that way, it seemed to fit in with the uh, fake news mantra. And so I thought I would, you know, put something together kind of like a traditional newspaper only poetic. Well, the cover is very provocative as well. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. I, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the photographer who did that. It was uh, oh, Elijah O'Donnell, who's uh, got a lot of work on Unsplash. So I used when right, I saw that nice. picture, that that just struck me as really a good. Yeah, you know, a, a good metaphor for, for media. Yes, yes. Well, please share some of your work from the book. Oh, okay, by all means. And in fact, maybe what I'll do is, uh, uh, well, let me start with one of the poems that uh, is not ekphrastic, but is a, uh, uh, I got interested in the Tonka form, and uh wrote uh, two different Tonkas, one for my father, one, one for my mom, one for my dad. 
but I liked them together. And it was funny because um, it was um, it was taken by a British uh, um, the uh, undertow the undertow talk a review in Britain. And I sent him the thing, and, and he wrote back, and he said, look, uh, Taka are only this. You know, you, you can't put them together, and you can't title them. But he said, however, what you've got is more like a Samanka, which I looked up and found, okay, Samanka is a, another Japanese form. So I, I thought it was kind of funny that I ended up writing. I, I tried to write in one Japanese form, but ended up writing another one that I didn't even know anything about. Uh, but I also like it because it's the one uh, David Green, who reviewed the book initially, pointed out as one of his favorites, and I, I really appreciate him doing that. Uh, it's about both of my parents uh, at, at their deaths, at the times of their deaths, and it's called Dispatches. In the end, if she was not oblivious, my mother's saboteur steeped her in dementia making death more like a cure. Dad hugged me at ten when his mother died. Then years, my ire and our pride, split us so that his passing deterred us from another. The end. So that was... You know, that was a beautiful piece. Uh, I know when I read it the first time, I was really struck by the language. Well, also the... uh I really like the title of that because not only are they like dispatches messages, but also uh, you're again fitting in with the media, you know, a dispatch and that kind of thing. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, shall I continue? Yes, please. Oh, Okay. Uh, let me throw this one. One of the earlier poems, it, it's actually an older piece of mine that ended up here. Um, it's, uh, it actually took place when I was living in Florida. So this is based on a true story. So there's the, the news end of it, I guess. Um, and it's called Impotence. So Impotence. Slouched in two chairs, made up as one, he grips a can, flexes his wrist on a table littered with twisted metal, stale beer mixes with smoke. Tense, he shouts at air, threatening adversaries who are not there. A cigarette in hand, the smoking gun, ashes fall after each shot. The end. You know, this is a call-in show. And the call-in number is 646-787-1631. We've got a couple of callers, Bill. Oh, I'd like to speak with you. Yes. Let's bring on the very first person. <laughs> okay. Area code 818. The first three numbers are 523. You're on the air with Bill. 
Good evening. Hey. Hello. Oh. Maybe they're just here to listen. They were losing. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> People like to listen to Bill. <laughs> All right. And the yeah. next one is area code 803. The first three numbers are 640. You're on the air with Bill. Good evening. Well, they like listening too, Bill. <laughs> okay. You got them wrapped. <laughs> with attention. One hope. What I'd like you to share with me, you made a statement uh, in your intro about being in a journalism class, and the the mm-hmm. person made some some statements that really, really struck you. Tell me a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, um, yeah, I started, well, initially right out of high school, I was going to go into journalism, and then, of course, I got interrupted. I, I think I've gone through this story with you before. Was, yeah. You know, I had to... Uh, joined the Navy and then worked after that. And I didn't get back to school until I was almost 40. And by that time, I really wasn't interested in journalism as a major, but I still was involved in the student newspaper. Um, And um, we went to a conference, and and somebody offered a a lecture on how to improve your writing. And essentially the woman said, you want to get – better at writing anything, no matter what it is, whether it's papers, newspaper stories, short stories, try writing poetry because it's a challenge. It's, it's hard to do well. And that's sort of how I got involved in, in poetry was that workshop. Uh, you know, wrote my first poem right after that weekend and, and just sort of never looked back, ended up going into it in my undergrad uh, and, of course, have continued very actively on through, you know, up to today uh, with the poetry writing. And, and I, I like the, uh, you know, the idea of compact language, of trying to pack as much into a word or a phrase as, as you possibly can. Uh, I don't write many long poems. I do have some that are somewhat extended, but nowhere near what I've seen some people do. I, I like the short uh kind of, uh, you know, maybe 30 lines tops, 40 lines, that kind of thing. Um, and trying to get as many images into that space as I can. Um, okay. That's, uh, you know, and, and so, yeah, the, the journalism part, although, and here again, I, I think I've mentioned this with you before, is, is my definition of poetry being the history of the human soul, and really that's, mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned that in the introduction, is that since, uh, you know, journalism is a recording of history as it unfolds, poetry also acts that way in many ways, uh, although from a slightly different angle. Um, so, yeah, it was a really easy switch to make into poetry, and I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Uh, I really enjoyed that trip of trying to... Uh, you know, pack things in like that. You know, some say that we're made up of our emotions. And I'm wondering, <laughs> do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um, I would say in some way, yeah. I think uh, 
to me, poetry becomes observational, and then you extrapolate those emotions from there, I would think. Although some poems obviously are emotional uh, right from the start. The, the, the one dispatches about my parents is very reflective of that. Uh, the impotence is much more op- observational. I was, you know, mm-hmm. sitting at home and watching this guy drinking like crazy and getting more and more weird, uh, and it just struck me as such a strange image. I had to record it. Um, yeah, it, it, the um, I don't know if you read the poem Hazardous Material, yes. which is sort of an editorial here again, fitting in with the the, the newspaper image of writing an editorial in, in, into a poem. Uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah, while um, some of it is obviously emotional, uh, the poems about my son obviously are very emotional, uh, but sometimes it's just, uh, this is what I saw. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, please share a set of poems. Okay, sure. And I thought what I'd do, one of the... Uh, themes that shows up in this book quite a bit is is the that of war and that's also one of the areas where i went into some very strict forms uh and that actually got started when we had the centennial of world war one a few years ago uh, i went on a tear of these types of poems uh for example let me uh, let me find well, for example, now, I, I wrote a, a requiem, requiem uh, for the troops, and it follows the requiem uh, form of poetry. And this is one based on uh, um, World War One. So this is requiem for the troops. And I'll, and I'll follow that up with another World War One poem, which is a decima. Or I, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, decima, an, another right. poem, poetic form that I, I started using. So this is the Requiem for the Troops. Marching off in search of accolades, they left lovers, friends, and family behind to crush those called their country's foes and then return exalted after battle. But it wasn't fame that they would find. Their pride and honor led them to be slaughtered as their nation's cattle or food for lice or shattered in gore. Instead of glory, these troops had to see limbless comrades in baskets laid in rows in the trenches of our first modern war, hollowing out any glory in parades. So that was that. And then the other one is the decima for the doughboys. Influenced by the zealous praise coming from teachers and parents. By the way, I think I should preface this one. This is very much also inspired by the uh, the novel uh, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, or if anybody's seen the movies, there's two different versions of the movie, both of them quite yeah. good. Um, but this is a decima for the Doughboys. Influenced by the zealous praise coming from teachers and parents, they left enthused before real sense, replaced the glow of youthful gaze, pride and honor with true malaise, Troops became a sacrifice for Mars, depleting their thirst for war. Instead of music and parades, a drumbeat of cannon cascades into the trenches of world war. I'll give one more. This is actually 
not following any particular form, uh, and it's also uh, a more modern view of war. Uh, this was based, and here again, getting back to the journalistic aspect of this, uh, when we went, when we went into uh, wait back in what was that 91 92 uh, there was a, it was a very small story but it turns out that um, many of the Iraqi troops and of course Saddam did not send his best troops in there initially he sent in these basically draftees um, and these guys were not professional soldiers by any stretch. And some of them decided, I've had enough of this, and they basically hid in the sand. Well, what happened was, while they were hiding, they, didn't, they weren't aware that we were coming in with bulldozers and just flattening everything out. And several, you know, quite a number of these guys got killed, not in the actual battle, but after it was done while they were hiding. Um, so this is called Drowning in Retreat in 1991. With the battle lost, those few who survived buried themselves under sand, dug in only to get bulldozed beneath a front stretching across 170 miles of parched shoreline. Did these Iraqi sons and fathers, pawns praying to Allah, beg or shout for mercy over the thrum of diesel engines like surf drumming in the desert? What God could have heard the screams of these conscripts coming from under those granular waves? All noise is muffled as throats and lungs filled with that smothering tide. Their blood seeping into the grains makes its own mud. And they, the men never really wanting to be there, fall victim to this, a new and unintended assault. The end. Wow. What is the most oh, yeah. difficult part of your artistic process? I, once again, that sort of depends. There's some stuff that just comes out, and and then the difficulty becomes the editing. There's others where it's well, how do I put this together? You know, I've got a singular image. Um, you know, I, I want to. Uh, use it, but it doesn't seem to work. Uh, in fact, in many cases, and I did that in one of these pieces, is um, I took multiple images and, and put them together into a kind of a whole narrative, uh, which I also had done. Um, uh, I, I don't remember if I read my Easter Island in Koreatown, but that was also a, a setup of these different images of downtown Los Angeles. Uh, I, I would say, though, my toughest job is always the revision because that's where I really want to get it right. Uh, my first draft I don't worry a whole lot about. It's, you know, getting it to a, a, what I would consider a publishable stage that, uh, that it takes, you know, some time. Um, usually the, the initial image will come from anywhere. Um, okay. And they do come from anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, well, some poets claim, and I think you've already answered this question, but that some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct hmm. or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? And you may have already answered this. 
Well, I'm yeah, I'm a big fan of revision. I, I in fact, I always love to quote uh, when I was in college. Uh, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks came and gave a presentation, and she made a statement during when they had the question and answer. Uh, she made this statement, which I, I loved so much, I put it in the foreword of the college's lit magazine the next year, and the statement was, to attain your vision takes revision and revision and revision. <laughs> so that's mm. perfect. That says it all. And I, I always like to point out that if people like Carolyn Forche or Gwendolyn Brooks or Philip Levine say rewriting's the trick, I think I'm going to take their word for it because they seem to know All what right. they're doing. Uh, I'm not going to argue with those let's folks. Take, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm always big on rewriting. It, it, it doesn't happen all the time. For okay. example, the Miles poem was sort of one of those instantaneous pieces. Uh, but most of the time, yeah, revision is what revision is the is toughest key. part of the job, but it's the job. Yeah, it's the part that I get the most satisfaction from, too, when it starts coming together. Very nice. We'll be right back, everyone. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Bill Cushing. Bill, please share another set of poems. Oh, certainly, by all means. Let me, um, maybe what I'll do is do some of the ekphrastic work. Um, I took some notes on some of the illustrations you threw up on the uh, on the site. Mm-hmm. The you know, kind of yes. a preview. And um, let me do um, some of those. And I'll just sort of go in order. Uh, the first one is the uh, Hidden in Frenzy, which is the, for those who are looking at the thing, it's it's the painting by the uh, Polish artist of the woman mounted on the uh, black horse. And this was a lot of fun to write because as soon as I saw it, the story started formulating right away. And then uh, I enjoyed this because of sort of the, not so much the surprise ending, but oh, there she is. Then. So this is hidden in frenzy. Zeus has returned to make up for lost time, cloaking himself in a steed dark as onyx. He coaxes his rider to climb. She wraps pale arms around his neck, and with eyes closed, she begins riding her mount. Rubenesque legs fix her vulva tightly against and along the ridge of his spine. Anticipating ecstasy, she shivers as his hooves rise high into the wind. His mane dances like black bunting, binding through and around fiery hair, his mouth frothing in fervor. Locked in rapture, his rearing stance, reflecting their orgiastic frenzy as God and mortal meld, 
while in the darkness behind them, Hera hides and, meticulous as ever, plots her revenge. The end on that one. Wow. Yeah, I have to uh, thank my Latin classes for that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, which I, I always loved telling that story. When I was in high school, I took Latin. And um, my fourth year, we, uh, we, we came into the class, and we had this book. The textbook was Ovid's Metamorphosis, the complete poems of Ovid. And, um, yes. you know, we're all, and the teacher comes in and basically says, this is our textbook. We're going to translate not all of it, but most of it. And we're all looking at each other like, oh, my God, this is going to be horrible. I've always said, you want to get kids interested in Latin? Give them Ovid's metamorphosis. That's some of the raciest stuff in the world. I mean, <laughs> we started translating. Man, this stuff is really cool. Um, the other one I thought I'd read off of the uh, off the uh, ecrastics work, the the artwork. There's the one called Ninos, which is uh, uh, Ponce de Leon. Uh, Fidelio Ponce de Leon is the artist, a Cuban artist, uh, painted this. Uh, very sepia-toned picture of these three children. And I wrote it as an Oviejo, I believe is pronounced, which is a poetic form that comes from Spain. So um, staying in line with that. And I've enjoyed using that. I've actually written a couple of other pieces following that format, uh, which I've really enjoyed. It's it's a nice exercise in discipline. But this is the, uh, it's called Niños de la Pobreza Eterna or children of the eternal poor. In Rembrandt hues, they pause before coarse nature, abject children who can't escape this drab landscape, nor its archives of oppression and desperation. Barren famine distends them into El Greco perspective, babes suckling on the effects of coarse nature, this drab landscape, and desperation. So that's that piece. And I thought what I'd do the other ekphrastic to for this one. Well, no, I guess what I'm thinking. You're talking about that last piece. I apologize. No, I apologize for interrupting. But I was wondering how long did it take you to find these pieces, because they they're meticulously placed. Uh, How long did it take you to find these pieces to to do this? Well, these were the ones, and this is from that uh, uh, that Canadian website where they would provide, the, the woman who runs it would provide the artwork and say, okay, what are you going to do okay. with this? And so then it became a matter of, well, what do I see in that, uh, and then what form do I want to use? And so I guess the the first decision I came to was using the uh, the Oviejo. Uh, the format, the Spanish format, because it fit in with the the, the artist and the painting and that sort of thing. Um, So that was, yeah, the the ekphrastic stuff in here, for the most part, is Mm -hmm. dovetailing off of the the artwork itself. So that became, you know, the the impetus for everything else. Okay. Although this one, I I will read this one, and this is a... uh, hmm? 
No, no, no. Go ahead. I'm just fascinated. I'm sorry. Go please, ahead. please continue. I okay. said I'm fascinated by what you're sharing, so please continue. Uh, this is this is the. Uh, I think you showed this picture. Yeah, the day the trees froze, which was mm-hmm. a uh, a photograph. Now, oddly enough, this poem was actually written before I saw the picture. But when it showed up, I said, well, I got just a poem for this one. Uh, and this okay. is actually, this poem came, and it's one of my longer poems. And it's also one of the few where I don't use a lot of, uh, uh, well, I do use punctuation, but it, it's much more free form than a lot of stuff I do. And it's a little bit longer. And it was inspired basically by my time at Goddard College when I would go up to Vermont for the winter there. So this is called The Nature of Snow. The nature of snow is entirely unnatural. As it descends naturally, it seems to move more sideways than down, and at the same speed, so that when watching it from an insulated interior, it becomes difficult to tell whether it floats down or the world rises. When it falls during times of sleep or introspection, it gives no warning. Looking up unaware, you realize it is just there, as though the world has always been this white and deep. It falls silent, not echoing on eaves or streets. It does not crunch so much as it squeaks. When shoe soles press down, compressing it into complaints, smothering all sounds but those resulting from its own condition. Drifts create an anechoic atmosphere. Even dogs become more silent in it. Snow resides above nature. It grows in layers, shifting later to other shapes, barricading buildings, isolating greenhouses from warmth, covering a solitary chair in the middle of a field. Snow settles on tree limbs and leaves like a soft white mold. The end. Wow. I really like the line, snow resides above nature. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks that, a lot. Yeah. That was and a I would say the, uh, <laughs> the real inspiration was that, was the, the, the chair in the middle of the field. At, at, at Goddard's Vermont College, they had this mm-hmm. monstrously outsized, outside, uh, outsized, wooden like a, a deck chair type of thing that probably one of the art students had made it was out in the field you know out in the middle of nowhere and when it got covered with snow I said, well, that's that's like an alice in wonderland image there <laughs> so yeah a lot of these now, images in this one comes out of come out of vermont okay very nice now you've got this book nothing you've got this book mm-hmm. what did you learn about yourself from writing it I think my biggest lesson was, um, and, and I hope it doesn't work to my detriment, but um, I would say the biggest thing is that I, I've gained a little more self-confidence in myself as a writer on this one uh, in terms of taking control and, and, and seeing the project through to how I wanted it to, to you know, end up as a, as a singular piece of work. So I, I would say, yeah, it really brought me into not just the writing phase, but also, you know, the, the arrangement and the production and, and that sort of thing. 
because I was able to do just about everything on this myself. Um, CyberWit pretty much went along with, you know, most of my demands, and that's what they were in many ways. Like, look, this is the way I want it to be, and, and they said, fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was really grateful to them on that account. Well, please share another set of poems. Oh, let me do that, sure. Um, one of the things I've done in this is, and here again, getting back to my going back to the roots of an old newspaper. You know, I have some news in there. I have some features. Uh, unfortunately, no sports this time out. I didn't put any sports poems in there, which I guess I should have. Uh, but I did have what I consider sort of a humorous section. And uh, that uh, I have several poems there. And let me go with one. Um, well, maybe I'll go with two of them. Uh, one is, uh, and this poem, and just to kind of give some background to it, it came out of an image. A bunch of us were doing like a, a round, round robin reading one day, and just for the fun of it, somebody said, "Would it be faster to find Shakespeare quotes in a book or online?" And I was watching these two guys do this, and, and I, my initial thought was to try and re- replicate a John Henry story, you know, the, the old mm-hmm. song about John Henry and the, yes. the steam machine. Um, but it ended up being an entirely different image, but still, I think, worked just as well. And this is called The Great Google Wars of the Early 21st. The battlefield splayed across the tiled chessboard of a 21st century writing lab. The combatants, one anonymous, stakes his slab perched on a stool, a Goliath who perches over a search engine named Google. The challenger, David, his paltry weapon, a hand resting palm down in the index of the hardbound pages of sonnets by Shakespeare. Perpendicular in their positions, the pair commence their decided duel. What number contains the phrase? Where do we find these images displayed? The clack of the keyboard sounds against the flip of turning pages, sounding like the swish of a sling slicing the air. Not much more sound emanates from this sphere as the, as the duel of searches continues. In the end, the combatants draw a tie. But there is fear that the digital giant of Googling, so ubiquitous a thing its very name became a verb, may ascend... Mm to destroy and replace the tactile pleasure of pages, the smell of their leaves, the feel of their edges, relegating books to the museum of bygone ages. The end. Wow. <laughs> so it, it's not completely humorous, but it is kind of a, a I guess, a satirical take on uh, what may end up happening. Which well, I hope Google not, but, uh, I'm holding out yeah. as long as I can. Well, hmm? as I was sharing, Google is all-encompassing, so it's kind of hard to stay away from it, especially that mm-hmm. line about the verb, becoming a verb. That is so true. Yeah. <laughs> Just Google it. <laughs> yep. 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 That's it. And, and it's funny because this um, actually sort of came out of uh, some other 
incidents that I had, but uh, yeah, the idea of uh, you know everybody going to electronic books now and, and this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I like you know, and some of it's obviously my age, but also just the fact that I like holding it in my hand. I, I like uh, you know feeling the page, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, one hopes we don't lose that entirely. Yes. The other one uh, I wrote in this sort of humorous uh, vein is um, this is called Letter of Resignation. And it begins with a quote, every soul shall have a taste of death, which is from the Quran, uh, Surah 3, 185. To whom it may concern, I must have been too far away that night at the reading. Either the air thick with diction, or something there warped the words. For when I heard the Latina say, Sin Fin, to begin again, my Irish ears heard Sin Fin, to begin again. Did that mean that it would allow my nation of origin to begin anew, or that the bloodthirst of Sin Fin would begin again? Later on this night that marked another anniversary of brutality, Armenian women recalled Turkish attempts to eradicate their grandparents. Last century was not, as billed, an age of information, nor is it any age of Aquarius. Rather, it would probably be better called the age of genocide. Hitler was not, after all, an apex of hatred. He was, rather, its professor, and his students have all done well. We don't need a bridge to the 21st century just one that gets us out of here. That's it. I've had enough. I quit and resign my membership with humanity in full. Forward my mail to Jupiter, as I am now taking residence there. Pluto sounds equally appealing, anywhere but here. Even as this is read, a counterfeiter works on papers of citizenship that are open-ended. I've had enough of the economy, the church, the government, society, the whole deal. I quit the end. You know, that brings up a question, whether writing energizes or exhausts mm-hmm. you. Let's say that you quit. You're tired of these things. Does it oh, energize boy, or energize you? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, I found, well, I find that um, if I'm having problems sleeping, I just start writing, and, and rather than putting me to sleep, it just keeps me up all night, which, of course, plays help okay. on everything else later. But um, I, I think it really, like once I get locked into something, uh, an image or something like that, um, I just, you know, I want to keep going into it more and more. And then, you know, obviously later on, then going back and throwing stuff away. Uh, um, in fact, right now, well, I... I I'm working now actually on a memoir about my years oh, wow. in the Navy and later working on other ships. Um, wow. But one or the other, there's a short story I'm working on, and I've got to get back to it, but um, I'm, I'm waiting to get some information on it. But uh, my wife is Peruvian, and uh, she was telling me, and this happened in 1971, I believe, there was a... Uh, a tsunami that caused an earthquake and the earthquake caused a mountain slide 
and completely obliterated one small town in, in, in the mountains of Peru. Uh, just completely destroyed the town, leveled it, buried the whole thing. And um, I said, well, that's, that's really interesting. And, I, and this is one where I tried, I started writing a poem about it, but I said, you know, there, there's so much material here, it's not going to be a poem. So I, I've now switched over to a short story. Well, then I come to find out her cousin, she had a cousin, she has a cousin, who actually survived it. Uh, mm-hmm. She was one of the few who actually got out of that whole thing alive. And I said, oh, my God, i got to get, you know, an interview with her somehow. You know, uh, we'll have to do this because I, I want to get input from her. She was probably six or seven years old at the time. Uh, and ironically, I guess her older sister was taking her out of the house and she broke free of her sister's hand because she had left a doll behind and she wanted to get the doll. And naturally the sister is like, no, don't, you know, don't worry about the doll. Let's get out of here. Well, as it turned out, she survived because she went back in the house. The sister ended up dying in the, in oh, the no. uh, mountain slide that resulted. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, she lost her whole family there. I mean, she was the sole survivor of her family. Um, but I'm like, you know, that's such a, an interesting story. I mean, it's, it's not just in the brutality of it, but just, you know, how most most of us live and die purely by luck, <laughs> just by yes. dumb luck. Uh, yes. And and uh, so that's something I want to work on too. But I find those kinds of things uh, really get me going. I mean, you know, once I lock onto them, I just got to at least write it to some form of completion. Um, I recently wrote a poem about Auschwitz, which you know I spent a lot of time on that as well, um, and that was actually inspired by watching a documentary, and I, you know, and I, all these images from other movies, um, especially like The Big Red One and, and that kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. just came back to me, and I think it. Also, remember, I was a history major when I started school. I was not thinking of English or oh, really? thinking of history, and mostly 20th century. Yeah, yeah, that was my area of interest. Primarily, actually, I was my big interest was Russian, modern Russian history. And I said, look, I was a Cold War baby. I grew up with this, you know, the Russians are hiding mm-hmm. under your bed to get you and that kind of thing. And I also served in the Navy during the Cold War, so it was, you know, when things were a little bit tense. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, history has always has always interested me, and and here again, going back to that definition of poetry as the history of the human soul, uh, I always get into that pretty well, and, and so yeah, as far as does writing exhaust me, eventually I'm going to get exhausted, but you know, I find that it really keeps me going. Yet. Wow, let's take a brief yeah, break. Hopefully, we'll for right another back. twenty or thirty years. Yes. Okay. We'll be right back, everyone. All right. <laughs> Bill Cushing.
We are back. I am here with Bill Cushing. Bill, you are a movie lover. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so am I. So am I. So many of your poems resonated with me. But I think the one that hit me the most was a movie list poem. Would you share that one with us? Poem, oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one I provided the uh, visuals on that because I thought, well, as long as I'm doing a book with, with visual aids, let me just put a collage of these uh, covers. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I oh, God, yes. I, and, you know, it's funny because I, I went to a, a workshop with Donald Justice one time, and that was one of the things that stuck with me. He said a good poem should appear cinematic. I've always said that's a good way of looking at poetry. Does it unfold like you could see it as a movie? So this is not so much unfolding like a movie, but like it says, it is a a movie list poem. Uh, I had never tried the the list poem, and I thought, oh, let me give it a shot. So it's basically an A-A-B-B-C-C, you know, rhyme scheme, Mm -hmm. uh, just going through the movies that have affected me the most. I've lived life in celluloid, marking time mostly by movies that immersed me in worlds real or ghostly. Casablanca taught me the true manly art, watching Rick come alive through Humphrey Bogart. But the first to separate film from a movie was delving into the breadth of West Side Story. Warrior-filled epics like El Cid may focus on men, but the true star to my young eyes, Sophia Loren. Star Wars at first sitting marked a sci-fi breakthrough, returning to basics but still brand new. The ultimate sensory deep dive, Apocalypse Now, blends sight and sound, a blood-soaked Pink Floyd show. Admiration of Patty Chayefsky took me to altered states, which brought me to William Hurt, who then let me meet Kathleen Turner by way of body heat. Apologies to Private Ryan, but Das Boots a better view of battles and military life in World War II. Last of the Mohegans, the film Michael Mann was born to make, took a boring novel and made it great. I recalled youthful fears with Apollo 13, while it allowed me to peek behind the scenes. L.A. Confidential, Chinatown's cinematic cousin, took the podium as a movie that beat the book. Cooking and film make a great combination. Then chef's added ingredient connected a father and son. Lately, Hell or High Water carried on tradition by giving us a modern Western. When the story of the Doughboys had to be told, Peter Jackson showed us how they shall not grow old. While there have been no previews so far of life's lessons and fantasy or lodestar, whatever life Wherever life, film, and I now go, I hope to have the best seats, center row. The end. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, and that was kind of fun to Washington, do. Just... <laughs> I hmm? was saying, when you visit Washington, D.C., we're going to the movie, my friend. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, And that's one of the first things my wife and I connected on was, you know, we love movies. Uh, I just, like I say, West Side Story was probably the first movie that knocked me out, absolutely. I was mm-hmm. probably 10 when that came out, and my mother took me to see it. 
And you got to figure, what's a 10-year-old scene up to this point is Jerry Lewis and the Three Stooges, and yeah. stuff like that, which, you know, not taken away from them, but it ain't exactly high art. And when I watched, I mean, just from that opening sequence of coming in over the island of Manhattan and zoning in on that one playground, I was like, holy cow, nobody ever told me you could do this with a camera. Uh, it, it was just amazing to me. And then from then on, I was just hooked on the, on the movies. Um, well, I and, know uh, in that particular It's funny film. because I have a, a massive collection. Hmm? <laughs> I was saying in that particular film, my favorite part is when they dance to America. I think it's called, I think it's America. Oh, yeah, I love when, show. Well, you know so, what's funny was... <laughs> <laughs> when Blu-ray when ahead, Blu-ray came out and I I bought a Blu-ray machine, the first Blu-ray disc I got was West Side Story, and the first oh, part really? I went to was that dance sequence, <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, because you could see every bead, every I mean, I was like, oh my God, this is the way to watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great one. It's a great one. It really is. <laughs> the whole thing is. It's such a great piece of work. Yes, it is. Okay, let's go back to now, I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know if you have seen that uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. But if no, not, I no. really... I mean, that's a real labor of love. Uh, he took original World War One footage and colorizes it, but I mean he put so much work into it, it's unreal. Uh, it, it's mm. one of the best... Films who have come out in recent years, I think, especially on that topic. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I really, I, by, I just love film. Well, I've been fascinated by World War II documentaries, probably for the last six months. It's just oh, an incredible, okay. incredible period of time. <clears throat> so much happening. Incredible period yeah, of time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah. I mean, I World think... War II. Well, I always like to say that you know World War One was was the war to end all wars, and it was such a big hit. We had an encore, and you know, went yes, right into World yes. War Two. Uh, <laughs> but uh, where, where does your anyway. fit in, Where does your book fit into your career? Um. Ooh. Well, I I would say. Oh, um, I'm going to take a cheat on this and say, well, I hope uh, a little under halfway through, because <laughs> that means I still got a few more left in me. Uh, but I, I would say this was was one of my real labors of love. That uh, I mean, music speaks. I put that the the the, the fancy one together myself, but the material was already there. Uh, a former life was the biggest challenge was organizing it and, you know, editing it and that sort of thing. But that was pretty much, everything else is pretty much out of my hands. Probably the next book of poetry I, I, I go after, and I will be trying hopefully within a year or so. I, w- I want to get done with this memoir first and get that into the final stages so that I can focus back on the poetry. Not that I'm not writing poetry. I still am, and I've, I've got enough for maybe another full collection. Oh, wow. That's when I, I've got to wow. look at, all right, how am I going to organize that? I actually already have a uh, working title for that one. If I can pull it off, it'd be a, uh, what is it, uh, uh, 
something along the lines of a single poem searching for compatible title. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Take off on the, on the one as yeah. yeah. But uh, hope, well, what do you hope readers get hmm? from encountering your work? Well, I I like to think that I write. Well, one of the things. Okay, I've I've always said that uh, when I when I teach poetry in the classroom, I think poetry is something you don't read once. That that's why poetry books are so small. You're supposed to come back to them again and again. And I I hope that my stuff is like that. That that people can come back to it and read it again and see something they hadn't seen. Uh, but I also like to make it such that it's not so academic that nobody gets it the first time around. I think you, as long as you can get something the first time around, um, mm-hmm. then I think it's pretty well succeeded. It's really succeeded if you come back to it and, and start looking at it. And that's, look, that's very much like how I approach movies. I, 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 when I see a movie that I really like, I want to see it again and again and start going into, okay, I got through the story, but now how did he put it together? Uh, how did the writing go? Uh, you know, things of that nature. We just went to see, for example, now, uh, we just went to see the movie Old, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Okay. And, and my only criticism of the film is I love the theme, I love the ideas he presents, but the script really needed a better writer. <laughs> I okay. wish he would have gotten somebody okay. better to write the, the lines. Uh, Did he write it? Did he write the script? And, you know, that's – that. Hmm? I think he wrote he it. I'm not sure. I'd have to check that. But Did he write it? I'm assuming so uh, because okay. I know it's, it's billed as his film, and he usually writes and directs. Uh, but it was a little stilted at times. I thought, and I was like, oh, you could do better than that. Uh, but I, I don't know if you've seen it. I mean, the, the, the notion no. of it is great. And the themes it addresses are really good. I mean, very powerful themes. And so, uh, of course, with Shyamalan, you either got to be a fan or not, I, I think. You're right. Um, I like I his stuff. Uh, you know, it's like Wes Anderson's another one. He seems to be an acquired taste. I love it, the stuff he does. Mm-hmm. Some people, ah, I don't get it. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll but have time uh, for but one yeah, that's more what thing. I hope is that people can come back and look at the work and start looking at, okay, how about the line breaks? How about the language? Uh, I think that's one of the things I like to try and do is make the language slightly different than, than it might have been uh, under normal circumstances. Um, I try and avoid, for example, one of the things I try and avoid, I don't entirely because sometimes you can't, but I prefer metaphor to analogy. I, you know, okay. I, if I have a line that says it's like this, I'm going to say, is there any way I can get rid of the like and and stop making it a simile and make it a metaphor? If I can't, oh, wow. I can't. Very nice. But if I can, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, we have time for one but, more. Uh, but yeah, I hope people can go through several readings. One more. Okay. All right. Well, let me. Um, yes. Let me end with this one. I, I like sharing this one. Um, and it seems a little bit appropriate since uh, next month is uh, September and we have Banned Book Month coming up. Where did it go? Let me find it. I'm sorry. Oh, this is one. Now, here's one that came out of a uh, situation last Christmas. 
actually is where this poem started and, and came about. It's called Hazardous Material. The package is placed on government-approved scales. When comes the inevitable question, are any hazardous or inflammatory items contained therein? I hesitate to answer because, after all, hidden behind envelope paper are books. Is Bukowski as dangerous as Bukunin? Perhaps reading Ovid may pave the way to weddings for gays. If I send Vonnegut or Solzhenitsyn, am I guilty of shipping sedition? Might young ladies taking in too much rich or plath be enticed down a primrose path? Transmitting thoughts across state lines could indeed prove dangerous, especially given that ideas usually prove to be the true enemies of the state. The end. No. Where can readers find your work, Bill? Where can they find your work? Well, um, as usual, I would encourage if anybody would like. I'm, I'm obviously this. The all my books are on Amazon. Cyberwood also sells this directly, although it does. I have noticed it takes a little bit of time because it is coming from India, obviously, so it does take a little bit of time yeah. if, no, if you're not in a hurry. Uh, but if people contact me through my that email I have, the Pisces Poet at Yahoo, um, I'm perfectly happy to work out a deal on signed copies and you know uh, ship it to wherever they want to get, send it. So if they want it for themselves or for somebody else, you know, as a gift, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. In fact, we can collaborate. I've got the three books out, uh, you know, uh, this one obviously being the newest. But, uh, you know, maybe the other ones will fit better with somebody, like the music speaks or mm -hmm. musicians and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to talk with anybody. Or they can go directly to CyberWits or on Amazon as well, you know, because they're all, all right. available there. Well, I want to thank you. You're a great friend of the show. Oh. You know you're welcome back here anytime. Oh, I enjoy our conversation. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been a wonder. It's been wonderful tonight. Just well, to thanks so much for bearing with me again. Oh yes, yeah. anytime, my friend. Well, thanks so, so much, thank and uh, hopefully yes. we'll, we'll we'll connect again. Sounds fantastic. To and hopefully next audience, time we we see each other in person. Yes, I like that. <laughs> That would be nice. That will be nice. It puts a smile on my face. All right. Well, to everyone out there listening, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. <laughs> thank you. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.